Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm enjoying it so far. <laughs> what a strange thing to hear at the top of the program. Uh, an unfamiliar voice, Thomas Guthrie. Welcome to Call Chihuahua. Oh, delighted to be here, Robert. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And and it might appear that you're a stand-in for, for Eamon Dugan today, but that's not the case. Uh, you're here for a reason, and we'll talk about it in a second. But who else is down the line? Uh, Sammy's here as well. Good morning, chaps. Hey. Lovely to be here for this autumn series. We had a short series of, of summer programmes, but we've got a f- few more plans for this one. Great to be going again. Um, uh, let's let's play the jingle. Monteverdi, that sounds like Stanford. people who you are i mean lots of people will know who you are but i mean you were initially a singer i uh yes i occasionally do uh dust down the the chords and uh and, and torment people with that um but uh, m- most of my time is spent either directing uh, uh on some kind of stage or not uh or or running a charity i've got busy with the charity doing all sorts of uh interesting projects so yeah and that's music and theater for all it is indeed an uh, imaginatively titled number. Sorry, well done for pronouncing it charity rather than charity. <laughs> charity. Yeah, I like to do a bit of work. Particularly with the headphones on, you, could, you look proper Dave Nice, Mike Smash. Yeah. I'm delighted with that. <laughs> but of course, you don't like to talk about your charity work. That's I don't like other. to talk about right, it. Mate. That's, that's the other thing. Um, now, this episode has three uh, interviews in it. Um, a short one from Eamon with the young professional singer Ellie Stamp. Uh, then one with me talking to Robert Quinney, who's the director of music at New College Oxford, and Sammy, yours. Who's that? Ah, that is from a project I did last month in America with um, Philharmonia Baroque, um, who are actually a West Coast-based um, Baroque orchestra. But we did we were working in the, on the East Coast at Tanglewood and at Caramore, doing Aces and Galatea, and I had a chat with um, Aria, who directed the show, and with Isaiah, who was the other who sang Damon. Uh, in the show and they were it, I think as I said uh, at the time they were brilliant colleagues and it was a really enjoyable um 
generous spirited sort of collaboration so it was nice to chat with him well, I remember when you when you sent it over, I thought, gosh, that's uh, that's an interesting topic. You know, the rehearsal room, which is what it comes down to. Uh, and then, in fact, the, the, the episode after this, we end up talking about a similar thing. And all this was before the John Elliott Gardner thing exploded. As as you said, when we were talking the other day, Sammy, it's not every day that choral, choral music makes um, uh, mainline news. And that's generally not for a good reason, because if it hits the news, it's not a good reason. And and uh, we talked about it. We, I mean, I, d- I don't think there's a lot to say about the incident itself because, uh, well, I wasn't there and I don't think anyone's going to argue for the case that any sort of physical violence should be a, a good thing. It's just that we, Tom, you, you made a Facebook post about it and mm. um, I wonder whether you could just come. I suppose what I'm saying is, is there is there anything actually to talk about this given that we all agree that it, it shouldn't have happened? And I wonder whether we could start with your post or the uh, sentiments in that. Yeah, it's, it, was a, it was a strange little uh, sort of week or so, wasn't it? And, and I uh, perhaps we should say for those who may not have heard uh, a little bit about what happened, I, as I understand it, and I wasn't there either, uh, it got to the end of the performance. And I think, if I'm right, and it's not very clear that, that uh, John Eric Gardner had staged this to some extent a concert staging so he had given instructions about where people were to come on and go off and i don't think that's been made very clear and i think one of the singers uh got an instruction wrong went off and it got to the end of the performance and as traditional as in my experience certainly i've, I've witnessed this he john gets handed a glass of beer uh, immediately he goes off stage and he approached the singer and threatened to pour the beer over him i don't know how seriously uh at that point, there was an altercation when there was uh, there was some physical contact made, uh, which is obviously very regrettable. And then uh, there was a subsequent apology. Uh, but I think my post was really, really to came out at a time. I think not immediately uh, when there was an opportunity just to to reflect a little bit more in a hopefully a non non overly reactive way. Uh, uh, just to just to 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 I think that this is something we should talk about. I think it's something that we should take the opportunity to to challenge some of the 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 uh, I, frankly unacceptable things that, that happen, while at the same time understanding uh, and why they might happen and 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 really the question is how do we do really really fantastic challenging work uh, collaboratively with people. Uh, without being soft without being with you know touchy feely all the time it's it's not about that i don't think what 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 is what is the best way and of course there i i know from my own work it's it's different with different people um, but that's really i think what we've got an opportunity to do and i don't think it's just in the classical music industry i think it's across the board and i think there are always opportunities to challenge things that are are not acceptable and and to find ways to to move forward Sammy, you you've worked with him. I mean, you've both worked him. Tom, you worked with him as singer as a singer initially before working as a stage director. Um, but Sammy, you work with him. Do you think yeah. there's do you think there's an, an energy that he produces that occasionally goes across that line, but sometimes is just the right line of it that has a, a a positive effect? I don't think any of us is looking to excuse what's happened. Obviously, we're not. We're just wondering. We're just wondering whether there there is another side to it. I think there's a, the, the other side to it is huge. Obviously, you know what's happened is regrettable. He's he's said that, um, and obviously a line is being crossed. But I think 
I don't know if you'd agree, Tom, but the energy, the way he, the way he's capable of galvanizing a choir, particularly, I think, I think his choral work is utterly sensational. Um, the way his attention to detail, he's a fabulous musician. He's and he drives people, and it's probably, you know, he turned eighty early this year, so it's probably quite an old school way, I guess, of doing it. But he takes people out of their comfort zone. He's able to, uh, particularly when when there are fewer people in the room. I always remember Matthew Brooks saying this that when it's him and Continuo and just the singer, it, this, you get this fabulous insight, inspiration. He offers really an unbelievable amount of of good stuff, um, which is why you know he's got 180 people on stage with him in the Berlioz Festival because people are willing to some extent to take to take the challenge and take the take the difficulties of of working in that environment because the the payoff is so huge um so i think you know tom or one of you talked about crossing a line obviously a line's been crossed here it struck me that reflecting on how he works the atmosphere in the rehearsal room was always charged you know there was always a sense that this could you know everybody was on there if not on edge then very much on kind of the edge of their seat but but i have to say i, I think most habitually in a in a brilliantly positive creative a collaborative way um and like, like you say you know who who of us doesn't tip into an ex, you know into behavior that we regret when things are intense and when we're in charge i think i think i think that position of being at the front of a a large group of people is is exposing and i think that's um something that we can easily forget which leads to tom your point was about you know we're all the result of things that have happened to us in our background and that's then it dictates the how you then behave when you cross that line. And I think most of us wouldn't become physical at all. But it was interesting to hear you, Sammy, as sometimes a rank and file member of, of that particular choir in, in the past. <laughs> Don't pull that face. <laughs> you, you were once upon a time. I missed um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and having an understanding that for the person at the top, you're so, so invested um, in it. Um, and we're mm. just we're just going to keep saying which is not to, to excuse yes, what's happening. We happened. have to, we have to do that. I think it's really important to to, to keep doing that because it could it, it can be misunderstood as an, uh, you know as as a as some kind of uh, of allowing it. And 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 I think that that's it, it, I, there's there's another event, event recently. I don't know if this is this is interesting. The thing is the Spanish. FA president who's who in a fit of of, of excitement um, kissed her. Uh, there's there's no there's no way you one can say that's that's acceptable if it's not consensual. Uh, but there's a human grey area, isn't there? Where 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 we 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 tend to come uh, sort of open minded um, a little bit and and with with potential. Uh, as we're understanding, um, but we have to be so clear about about what what is acceptable and what isn't. And and I think that that, that those are really useful guidelines. And they and they and they're they're challenging in some ways because they involve a reboot. Um, but people genuinely suffer from these things, don't they? And 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 they genuinely, you know, people have written to me since that post and 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 said, you know, I I've, I gave up singing. There are people for whom for whom it, it, that, that that that's a devastating life event, and and it's not necessarily the most serious thing in the world. No, no one, thank goodness, has, has died in one of these events. You know, this, but it it it's 
it's potentially life changing. So how do we avoid that? And how do we make sure that there's awareness of that, of that genuine uh, damage? And I do. I mentioned damage in my post because the, the ten things tend to be cyclical, don't they? And 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 I mean, I was just thinking about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. You know, South Africa again, a hugely far more serious thing, of course. But how? But how does one move forward? Not by not by f- f- hitting back. Uh, you know, to to use it, hopefully it's a relatively tasteful and opposite phrase, but not by not by perpetuating the cycle, but by uh, having just, just, just taking what we need to take by by taking making apologies by supporting the people that need supporting, and then and then thinking about how how do we make things better in the future. I look at a lot of young conductors today with vocal groups. Um, and I know vocal groups is a different world from the drama of an opera rehearsal room. And and, and I don't see that being repeated in the same way. Um, and I, I do see that, you know, there's a lot of behavior seems to be better. So I think Richard Morrison's t- a term, the dinosaur, you know, it, it is of an old school. Um, I just wonder whether there's... It, you know, have either of you experienced from where you've sung for an equally good musician... Uh, who hasn't been at that close to the edge and you've not produced as good a, a result as a as a result that's, that's an interesting question I, 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 it's, I, I think you know qual, you know qualifying musicians in that way of you know someone as good or nearly as good or whatever I'm not yeah. sure that's particularly fruitful um other than to say that so I, I wouldn't speak about playing at all but singing is a is to a large extent, and communication as well, is to a large extent about energy and about committing to what you're, you have to say and about um, somehow sending that message kind of almost a superhuman distance, often trans, often over footlights, over language, um, over other kind of things, obstacles. Um, and the energy that, that, that an atmosphere like that um, elicits from performers, I think is unique in my experience. Um, Again, absolutely, this is in no way to excuse what's happened at all. No, nobody's, hopefully, nobody's daft enough to think that's what we're on about. But, but, but there is something in in the way that somebody like that works. I was talking with a friend yesterday about about Court Mazur, who was also, you know, you know, he was a old school guy. Mm. He'd really, you know, he'd fought in the Second World War, um, and the way he got results was was also, you know, probably something that we perhaps wouldn't see much today. But gosh, he got results. You know, and and you know, it's it, it's a results game, isn't it? Really, to to some extent. I, I noticed uh, one of the uh, one of the posts I saw was basically about good management skills that you don't get the best out of people by behaving behaving badly. And I I was watching a program last night, and there was a sports scene in a detective program, and the cliche was that the the sports coach shouting abuse from the sidelines. Now I know competitive sport is different from music making and music making is more collaborative than an individual sport. Um, but I just, you know, I'm, I just find it disappointing that one constantly goes back to this cliche of a driven genius. We've just had the, the film, haven't we, about the conductor, the female conductor, forget what it was called. And some Ta. people found that, yeah, you're welcome. And some people found that difficult because it was another cliche of a sort of tortured genius. And um, yeah. stop, stop your private joke going on over there. No, we love you, yours. I just, yeah, it needs to be heard, doesn't it? The laugh response. 
It was an excellent joke, Robert. Thank it's you. very good. Um, anyway, look, I, I mean, we all know it shouldn't happen. I mean, Tom, you work in a rehearsal room. You're one of the most mm. collaborative people. I, mean, I remember doing Orfeo with you a couple of years ago, and your initial response, you were like the Unipart ad. It was always, yes, um, and, and would then... Maybe the answer would eventually be no, but it was always yes to start with, which meant that I've I've heard what you say. But have you ever had the, the feeling that you really needed to push an individual a little bit more? Yeah, I have, and I have done it. Uh, and at times, I've I've done it to I think I think about it quite a lot, and I've thought about it a, 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 to to a large extent in, in relation to what we're talking about now with with John Elliott Gardner. But I've never not regretted it, and and. Uh, there was a there was a tenor we did we did we did uh, uh, Flying Dutchman um, uh, and there was a tenor I was working with um, who I felt really needed to be pushed and I pushed them fairly relentlessly and uh, tenors um, the worst yeah <laughs> but uh, and and we we got somewhere we got somewhere and I I in a sense I um, I, don't, I wasn't as it were witnessing if I, I saw a video back i don't know what i'd think um but it had an adverse effect on other people uh mm-hmm. in the room uh, uh, including the lighting designer <laughs> um and that uh, you know there i've never not not felt that there was another way of doing it even in retrospect and um at the same time i i come from a background where i was fa- the discipline of the training that i had at the royal northern college of music at the time i was there in theatre craft, in in staging, in dis- discipline of, was was the most intense I've I've ever come across, it, you know, either through other people or, or certainly in my life, and and I have a very strong sense of I feel of, of craft and discipline, which I which I try and help people find and and imbue in them. So I think that there's a real, a really. They think there are some really important values in some some old fashioned ways of doing things. I, th- I think this idea that it should be soft is is not the point. Uh, it it should be it, sh- but and it is that how psychologically do you respond to different individuals in in in, uh-huh. in, in, in yes. situations to get the best out of them? And I think some people do need more, and some people don't. There isn't a single rule. And I think, and I, I personally am not afraid of 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 going hard. I, I think sometimes it's absolutely necessary, and I think the standard in the room with the right energy needs to be needs to be needs to be right for the best quality stuff. It can easily become too relaxed and ill-disciplined, and it's not about how much we enjoy it as performance; it's about what the audience gets. and And I think those two can sometimes go together. I don't don't get me wrong; I'm not uh, totally against all fun, uh, but I do think I do th- I really believe strongly in that. And I and I've, I've, I think that there've been times when I've when I've you know got, got very close to that line if not crossed it and never felt it was to, to the advantage of the outcome a couple of things just on that for me i think i one one is that it's not always the person in charge who's doing the who's committing the kind of um unacceptable behavior i think i think i think we're all you know all of us we've all been i, I mean i've been in rehearsal rooms with probably i think both of you when one of the non-leaders in the room has behaved perhaps suboptimally so that's one thing which may or may not be pertinent to this story um the other thing is that i think a lot about the parallels because i've got a lot of time in my hands think a lot about the parallels between you know sporting leadership and that's a great face robert um sporting leadership and uh, sort of artistic leadership 
And mm. the thing that my favourite sporting leader, Jurgen Klopp, always says is that is that actually you, people don't really care how much you know until you know until they know how much you care. And the thing about the the, the leadership model, perhaps we're talking about in this incident, is that there's just never any question about how much John Elliott cares about things. It's you know that's one of the things, one of the reasons he's able to elicit such such performances and kind of stretch people in the way he is is because you feel like it's the most important concert you've ever done every time you stand on stage with him now that's not always an entirely positive thing this this inability to 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 see perspective but for an artistic temperament to to go on stage and think right come on is 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 kind of empowering and and embracing i think um and that sort of intensity you know i i know for example that you robert uh, you know care deeply very deeply about the music you make and you show that in a very different way so i think it keys into something that's a bit more broadly human which is that we all show that we care in really really contrasting ways well this goes back to to tom's point about we all we all react to things because of who we are and, and what has led to that particular point I, we we should get on to the the official uh, interviews for this program but i'm interested in two of them talk about vulnerability and performance and how they were able to perform in a more vulnerable way uh, because of the, the support of colleagues and, and directors and, and ARIA. By the way, was there ever a better name for a theatre, an uh, opera mm. director than, than ARIA? <laughs> Obviously Tom. Yeah. Or, or yeah. recitative, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, we, we, we can come back to this, but let's um, let's move on now. And in fact, just before we hear Simon's interview, here's a, here's a new little feature that I think uh, features a, one of the great um, choral consort and solo singers of, of the UK, Martha McLaurin, talking about conductors. Here's a very short feature. The Car with Martha McLaurinan. Welcome to In the Car with Martha McLaurinan. Martha, welcome to your own programme. Thank you very much. We're just coming back from a Fatalini gig. So interesting to talk about singers and conductors and all that kind of thing. And Martha, we should share this amazing, insightful conversation. I'm not being ironic here that we've just had, except we can't, can we? <laughs> Probably not, no. Absolutely libelous, um, but just so so interesting, but completely un- unbroadcastable. So um, goodbye and thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> that was that was great. She'd asked you to interview her, had she? Not particularly. We were just trying <laughs> to stay awake on the motorway. You know, <laughs> you know how it is. Uh, let's cut to the real the real gubbins. Um, uh, Sammy, just remind us where you were again and, and what pr- production you were doing back in July. Oh yeah, so I managed to grab I think fifteen minutes with uh, director Aria Umezawa and uh, tenor Isaiah T Bell, who had sung Aces and Galatea with. Now, just in relation to what we've been talking about, it's worth saying that Aria's kind of method is as distant to to. Um, the old school, as one can imagine, we started every rehearsal with a kind of c- a circle, and it was kind of the you know how's everyone doing today, which the kind of cynical Brit in me really rolled his eyes at the first time. But actually, the the result of it was rather lovely, and that we the, and I think Isaiah maybe mentions this in the chat. Um, it, we were able to feel uh, enabled and perhaps able to be vulnerable in in the rehearsal room in a way that we mightn't have otherwise. Uh, but here they are, Aria and Isaiah. 
So welcome. We are here in New York City with Aria and Isaiah uh, at the end of what's been a really nice uh, Asus and Galatea project. Um, Aria, do you want to tell us a bit about what, wh how you found it, how, how it was for you? Oh, I thought it was a really great process. We found a lot of like really exciting things, I think, as a group. We had a really collaborative space in the rehearsal hall. Um, where everyone was bringing their ideas in, and then I think we managed to tie them together really well. So, Excellent. How about you, Isaiah? I was extremely happy as well. I have been changing over the course of my career my criteria for what makes a show or an experience good, and it used to be more in what I would call sort of objective, um, sort of technical quality, and now it's more about the, my experience as a person going through that time that I spent okay. in the place. And here... I mean, and of course, you, you, you know, you're expanding those criteria, you're not, you're not switching from one to the other. But here, I felt that one of my new criteria, which is like, that I feel like I have just a tiny bit of space in the process to actually do something different than I would do in a similar situation in the past, that I felt like was in abundance in this gig. Yeah, nice, nice. And Aria, tell us a little bit about what, well, one of the things I was struck by was the atmosphere in the room was really like positive, creative, compassionate. Um, can you tell us a bit about how you how you try to sort of inculcate that? Yeah, well, a lot of my process or just my like growth as an artist has been about empowering people in the room and trying to sort of flatten the hierarchy of the rehearsal room. I think it creates oftentimes a very oppressive and sometimes suffocating creative environment. So I've been putting a lot of thought into how you can keep the artistic integrity of a project, but allow more people to contribute more fully in the creative process. Um, so it's like things like um, checking in with people, letting them know that wherever they're at, the process will meet them where they are in the moment. Um, if they have particularly, I didn't have this problem with this group, but sometimes I'll actually frame questions that I'm asking as, um, like inviting pushback, so saying things like, tell me how this is the worst idea, or tell me how this is the wrong idea, or I'm much more interested in hearing how this doesn't work. Um, and just trying to get people's voices activated in the room and contributing. And I always find you get the best results, actually. Like, singers always look more in their bodies. They look more relaxed on stage. Um, or they look more empowered on stage, I think. Yeah. yeah. Is that born out of bad experiences in the past or just something that you've kind of decided to seek? Um, a little bit of a little bit of my past, but I think also I did a fellowship at San Francisco Opera and had the opportunity to just watch, you know, real titans of the industry at work and just thought I just seeing how they would interact with each other and interact with artists and knowing that the people sometimes that they were screaming at were my colleagues who I knew to be very smart, thoughtful individuals. Just thought, if I'm supposed to model myself after these people, then maybe I'm not supposed to be in this industry. And then I thought, or wait, maybe I could just change the rules of From the inside. game. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. Um, and tell us a bit about you, Isaiah. You're, you're a brilliant singer, but also feels like there's more strings to your boat than even you've really revealed over the last couple of weeks. 
Well, the issue with me has always been too many strings on the bow. I mean, I loved seeing the Theor bow today because, you know, there's a whole lute there and then there's a whole second lute up above it. It's like a spirit animal. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the fact that he used this whole sort of harp range of, of tones. But yeah, I, I um, was unfortunately gifted with too many interests. And so um, my difficulty has always been uh, slendering it down to just one thing to focus on but um the nice thing about that is if you keep working on a bunch of different things like i write and i compose and i do sort of art and stuff and if you keep going with each one sort of slowly you know you advance slower in each one but then as you get older you have more things that you can do nice and do you find that each discipline like nourishes the other to any extent or is it, a, is it are they separate streams it hugely hugely influences the other and i think the thing that is the biggest uh sort of confluence or nexus point or whatever between them is that it gives you perspective about yourself as a person because if you only do one thing you're more likely to only see yourself in one way and see yourself and identify yourself with that thing that you do but if you do one thing and you're that kind of person you know I'm a you know I'm teaching at the university or I was during the pandemic and so you know for a moment you're just seeing yourself in that role as a university sort of sessional you know voice lecturer or whatever and then you're seeing yourself as like the sort of you know, certain kind of singer that you are when you're in sort of oratorio gig situations. And then if you're approaching something that you're not as, you know, sort of comfortable or well-versed or powerful in, then you have to see yourself as a person who's more fragile and who has more vulnerability in the situation. And I think all of that gives you perspective on each thing as you go back to the other thing and realize that you're not just one person. And so it kind of grows the person that is doing all these things instead of just growing your discipline or your mastery. Yeah, that's really nice. I, I um, saw Tony Bennett died like yesterday or the day before, uh, RIP. Um, but he he was a great painter, like a, a sketcher and an artist. And he said that it was that, I think it was um, Duke Ellington said to him, do two things. Don't just do one. You'll If you do one, you'll burn out. And if you do two, each will nourish you. And he was talking about how, like the stroke of a of a paintbrush was the same as the the length of a breath and that kind of stuff. And it's just really interesting. Well, I gotta say, I have huge guilt about being a sort of polymath. I mean, that makes it seem fancier than it is. But I have I have a lot of guilt about because I've often been told, you know, if you don't really focus on the thing that you're doing, then you're never gonna you're gonna be sort of jack of all trades. And I I, I gotta say at the ripe old age of thirty seven and almost thirty eight next week, um, I know I know everyone everyone's like okay grandpa, <laughs> but at this but I'm 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 seeing sort of incontrovertibly in some way that I've had to go this way and I've had to do these things, and uh, I can kind of say it's not true sort of definitively it's not true that you can't get good at something if you're doing other things. You just have to be serious about whatever you're doing. That's it exactly really nice. Um, Isaiah mentioned vulnerability, and I'm, I was one of the things I wanted to ask you both actually was a lot of people who listen to the podcast are singers, some professionals, a lot of amateurs, I think. Um, what is it that you're each looking for in your own singing, uh, in your case, Isaiah, but when you, when you work with a singer, Aria, what's, what, what are the things, the qualities you're looking to, uh, to see, I suppose? This is my favorite topic, actually, because we've both done Curly River, mm -hmm. um, the Mad Woman in Curly River. And when I do that, or when I do my solo show, The Book of My Shames, which is music that I've written, and also um, text that I've written, and it's about me, and it's about, and it really goes into the childhood, you know, and it's one of these kind of um, really sort of complete person experiences in terms of like, it's just that person on stage in sort of a like sort of art framed way. Um, 
people often say something after they see it, like, or the mad woman, it's the same thing. Like, how do you protect your heart doing this horrific stuff? Like, how mm. do you, how do you, um, keep yourself safe kind of, and, and do you find it exhausting? And I always say that I can't be vulnerable unless I'm strong. Like, unless, like, unless there's a, there's a framework around me that makes me, makes it okay for me to sort of take off my dragon scales. Like I can't, I can't be vulnerable because when I'm really vulnerable, when I actually feel the most vulnerable is when, you know, I'm in like, you know, I'm 23 years old. I'm in a cattle call edition at NOLA Studios on 54th Street in New York. And I'm, you can, you can almost not tell I'm there because I'm so away. Like my eyes are sort of, you know, shark eyes, I've, it's been called, um, you know, and, I've, and I'm just sort of, and my body's stiff and my voice isn't coming out. And you would think like, you wouldn't necessarily think vulnerable, but it's be, I'm locked down because I'm too vulnerable. But when I'm actually like, you know, actually like weeping, like honestly, like in the moment in a opera and then two seconds later, like singing something challenging and being able to switch gears to honestly do that and then tell a joke in the next sentence. And that requires enormous sort of, sort of emotional sensitivity and vulnerability. And I can only do that when the whole company that surrounds me is saying like, hey Isaiah, how are you doing today? Welcome to this space. I'm not here to like, be like, how's Isaiah doing today? Like, is he good or is he bad? Yeah. Am I gonna give him the next gig? Like, is he as good as this other tenor? I'm just, you know, all the people that I worked with at Pacific Opera Victoria, where, where I just did this, which is, I live in Victoria, um, all of them were just there to do their jobs and to, and to do the best they could and to be welcoming beings. And we were, many of us are friends and know each other. And, and then, and it was no issue for me to be vulnerable. I could walk up on stage and weep and then come off stage and tell a joke and then be myself and not feel like I had gone through a trauma, even though I'm talking about trauma. And that can only happen when you're strong and when you have strength around you. Yeah, mm. nice, I like that. Yeah, all right. We had been talking, we've been sort of touching on throughout our week as we've been traveling together, it has a lot to do with mm. like the way interpretation of pieces becomes codified and almost like, it's almost like sometimes we drive power in this industry by saying like, we know exactly how this document is supposed to be interpreted. We know all the history of it. It becomes very stiff and very unmoving and unbreathing. And I think what I'm looking for in singers or just generally in art is an acknowledgement that every artist is unique and has a unique perspective because every person is unique. And so even though you're might, you might be encountering a piece that has been performed for hundreds and hundreds of years, what might I learn from your interpretation of this piece that I wouldn't necessarily have noticed because I'm not you? Um, and, you know, what insights can I gain? Um, what curi what curiosities spark for you for these pieces? I think that was a great thing that happened in our Aces and Galatea space was sort of, we came in one day and Isaiah was like, I have this thing that I want to get out about this Damon Aria. And we were like, cool, what is it? And then it was like, oh, that's cool. I wouldn't have thought of that. Like, let's go with that and let's pursue that as our blocking for this piece. Um, and I think that's what I'm, I'm always looking for. Like, I know we all know how to interpret like sempre libera you know what i mean i know we know what we're supposed to do there but now give me a little surprise and tell me what you see that maybe other people have missed in this piece yeah lovely yeah.
I have to say about the Damon scene, it was so interesting for me because I've sung Damon before and it's one of these roles that when you look at it on the page, you're like, ugh, like it's a sorbet aria. They're lovely, it's lovely music, they're lovely arias, but the character seems like a nothing character. It seems like almost like white space in between the story to like give you a little, you know, the maid comes out and tells a joke and farts and, and everyone <laughs>, laughs and then the rest of the story goes on, you know, like a Cavalli yeah. opera. It kind of feels like that. But when we experimented in this rehearsal process, which would never have happened if it hadn't been the kind of thing where we could all feel like you had set up a space where we felt like we could offer ideas because you never actually really can in opera rehearsal. No. Uh, it's just not the way it goes and we don't have time, et cetera, et cetera. But, but because I sort of threw that idea forward and it only, and it wasn't an idea that I had brought in and thought about at night. It was an idea that only occurred to me when I walked over next to where Deshaun and, and uh, Hera were sitting and I thought, oh, I'm getting this feeling and I just so I suggested it. And then as we went through the rehearsals and as we did it at Tanglewood and then did it here, I realized that the character of Damon in this opera is just sort of, he's the friend, he's just like, hey, be reasonable, guys, don't, don't do anything crazy. Be nice to that girl, don't try to attack her, you know, um, you know, maybe think about, you know, that you're throwing your life away for a hedonistic pleasure. You know, these seem like very simple, reasonable things, but when you live in the body of the person who's saying those things and see, and when I mean, you're on stage the whole time and watching what's going on, and when you see how that person feels about what's happening, there's this dark storyline that comes up, but only if you can let your brain go there and think, because being in the body of that person was very watchy and very, I don't know if you sensed it, but there's like this sense of like, literally sort of pulling people around and like sort of mm. manipulating people by, by claiming that you're the reasonable one and that you have the sort of neutral opinion. And it felt very dark and it felt like a sort of fifth business quality of a, of a thing that sort of comes up from underneath and just like, pushes one thing a little bit in one direction and causes catastrophe by, but, but pretending to be neutral, like the narrator in The Gatsby or something like that. You know? Yeah, I mean, you and I have been talking earlier this week about Emma Smith, yeah. who, who kind of always finds these slightly unexpected, although completely like natural perspectives in Shakespeare, and it's a, it felt like the same sort of thing. Yeah. Aces is it's sort of known as a light kind of piece, but it's there's darkness yeah. in light, isn't there, right? Absolutely, and I think, you know, the... I think we use also to your, like something you said, Isaiah, triggered me, I guess would be the way to say it, but um, the time pressure that we use mm. to justify silencing people in the rehearsal room, like my, my feeling is like, if I know what I'm doing and I am confident in my ability to facilitate a process, then we do have time for it, even if we only have five days of rehearsal, you know what I mean? Right. And we did have time for it. And we were on an incredible time crunch. I've never been on a tighter one. Like this was the this was like one of the tightest turnarounds I've ever worked on. And yet we had time to talk about this and to like finesse it to a pretty pretty good like performance ready. We made something. We yeah. made something. We did yeah. something. And so like this this I hear a lot like you just gotta go because there's there's no time to talk about anything because we mm. don't have enough time and you're like, well, depends on how you want to spend your time, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, and yeah, that, that's it. And it strikes me so often it's the person in charge, let's say, who's kind of saying we don't have time, yeah. which is basically a way of saying, shut up, pipe, pipe <laughs> yeah. down over there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Look, I think you've got to get to your comedy. I do. I, I got, I get one and a half minutes, maybe. Yeah. Um, any? Do you want to recommend a, a listening track that we can? Unfortunately, the only listening track that I would recommend is the same listening track I always recommend in these kinds of situations. Excellent. Well, because it's, you know, we're traveling, so we're jet lagged, so we have to use alarm clocks. And the thing that I like to wake up with is the first track from Cecilia Bartoli's Sacrificium from Porpora's Si Face, Come Navi in Mezzolonde. Okay. Just check it out. We might, we might, uh, we might edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
Cecilia Bartoli singing Sifaches Cominava in Mezzogalande, like a boat in the middle of a storm, which um, a lot of fast notes, you know, respect. Um, you're a big fan of Cecilia Bartoli, aren't you, um, Sammy? Just love her, yeah. <laughs> you talk about the ironic Brit early on. Amazing. Uh, that's the same text, almost, like the um, the Christ on the on the... Uh, the Lake of Galilee. In the Vert. Uh, which, yeah, in the Jackers de Vert piece, yeah. where he really does semi-gravers for six people uh, at once. Um, almost entirely pointless, but yeah, great. Never, never got that right. <laughs> it, would, it, would be diff- it would be difficult to tell. Look, having heard that, um, what, what would you say, look, because people listen to this with, you know, choral directors, and, you know, they may not be about to direct an opera, but they want to get the best out of their choir. Can you think, Tom, of one thing that you would say to people? I mean, you, you do warm-ups. You, you do warm-ups for a reason, presumably. Can you can you give us a tip for getting the best out of people at a rehearsal? Big question. I, I absolutely love love the effect of warm-ups, and I almost always hate doing them just because I think they're they're so they're so valuable, and uh, and some some people are brilliant at them, uh, and I, you know. It depends what else is going on. Sometimes people are there to warm people up, and then that's all they do. And busy, meanwhile, you can be busy thinking about the the meat of the rehearsal, as it were. But I have never, ever, as a p- practitioner, as as a participant or a director, regretted doing warm ups. I think whatever you do, just just try and do them in a in a fun way and and get people to uh, 
you know, to engage. And, and, we're, and we're not we're not talking about vocal warm ups, are we? We're talking about you know games and things like that. G- give us an example of a game that you might had I, I, if you had the energy. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, there are they're brilliant games, and, and I do use them, and I, especially if they if they're really going to. Um, help something specific and i try and do something that's you're gonna I, i'm i'm i find grounding really really important on the stage uh in the way that we use our bodies to something there's lots of good grounding exercises uh and there's including some quite fun ones where you uh, it's probably too difficult to describe <laughs> but it's quite physical shall i try it's grounding rather than grinding is it Go on, try and try and just describe it. Oh, there's one. Oh, there's, I mean, honestly, there are so many, but there's one where you, you pair people off and you simply play a game where you have to hit the back of the other person's knee uh, and avoid being hit yourself. So it's the first to five, and the room goes <laughs> extremely chaotic for a while. The, usually chairs fall over and you have to apologise. Uh, uh, but uh, but then you then, then a bit later on when you when people aren't being nearly grounded enough, you say, "Do you remember how you were standing?" And it's usually uh-huh. with very bent knees. Sammy, I've got um, uh, actually video footage of you and the full Monteverdi team doing John Labouchardier's warm-ups. Wait, don't pull that face. I will screenshot that face and put it on the front, <laughs> front of this episode. Um, uh, and uh, you were making a machine, a group machine with, with 12 of you. That's right. Yes. I do remember that. Yeah. Um I was going to ask Tom about uh, this uh, friend of the parish, um, Beata Eicher's sort of projects. And I, I wondered, there's something so incredibly, we, we spoke about it earlier in the year, there's so amazingly sort of complicit about those, about how those projects come onto stage for the public. What happens it, it, you know, to prepare that ground? We should just say Tom is a regular member of the Alehouse Boys as a violinist, I see these days, but also wearer of rude comedia masks. I have a theory he never plays the violin. I think he sort of holds it and often takes a sort of a breath to play and then puts the violin down again. And it's, it's, I feel, is that unfair, Tom? I'm not going to comment at all. <laughs> I, I feel like I've spotted like it's the sort of Hitchcockian hole in the system, but you're never going to tell me. I think, yeah, th- third violin is uh, is putting it putting it extremely politely. Well, Beata spoke about, about basically getting together in, a, in the middle of the countryside for a few days and, and kind of finding a project, which which obviously most of us don't have simply time to Funding do. Funding for. Yeah. Yes, that, I mean, that, 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 that definitely happened on a few occasions. No, it's, uh, it's a, obviously, it's, it's a joy, that group. I mean, it's been, we've just come back from Espiag uh, and they, they did, a, I was there for the beginning and end, but they did, they did a Dido production. They did uh, a, a number of, different things fantastic collaborators collaborators and there's yeah we've done warm-ups <laughs> um but usually when there's someone else coming to the group mostly it's 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 drinking and abusing each other but i've been we've been with about 13 14 years it's, it's knowing it's knowing it's knowing each other very well and and having an attitude i think this we, we mentioned this early on about about attitude didn't we uh, about what the goal is about what the what the aim is, uh, and in terms of, of the John Elliott Gardner story uh, and so on, I think you've said very eloquently, you know, about how John Elliott cares and uh, about about the music and the result of, of what he's getting. How, how, the question is always, how do you how do you get the best result? And it is the answer is different in every different situation with different different people, and and you've got to take into account your own your own mood and your own state of mind, and 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 the you know the show must go on. You how are you going to get how are you going to get the best? To the best standard and the best results uh, and I think um, in terms of the hours boys you know it's about it's a lot to do with the attitude of what you want 
how you want the audience to feel and and how you and how you're going to do that uh, so it's so it's it's very interesting in terms of warm-ups you know how, how do you how do you get they, they can be incredibly helpful as long as the goal is not just to waste some time doing something that doesn't you know just makes people feel a bit silly uh although that can have its benefits as well but you know what's the point of it well be very clear about that and then it, then fantastic you know yeah, and silliness, silliness is easily underrated, isn't it? As, it is, as, it's as, a, as, a, as a means to an, a very different end. Uh, yeah, quite. Yeah, and getting people in the room together. Especially doing in, yeah. in classical music, where silliness is, is regarded as, as therefore not serious about the music, which is something I've you know, fought over a long time. Yeah. I'm just imagining yeah, the sight now of, of, of amateur choirs all over the country trying to slap each other on the back of the legs. <laughs> Please do it, folks. Send us photographic evidence. We'll post it. If you need some clarity on the rules, then um, sorry, I can't help. And there, in fact, we're going to leave Tom and Sammy for now. The plan was to include the interviews with Ellie Stamp and Robert Quinney in this episode, but in fact, we'll save them for next time, which will be sooner than usual in just a few days' time on Monday, September the 11th. Many thanks to composer Jonathan Lane for sponsoring this episode. If you search Jonathan Lane Composer, you can find out a bit more about his music with Christmas coming up. I recommend looking at his Omanium Mysterium, which is lovely. Last thing, in the break, we've been thinking about how to stop Coral Chihuahua actually losing us money. And so we've put it up on Patreon, where you can now support us with a regular small donation at one of three different levels, literally the price of a coffee. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. Patreon, if you don't know it, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Coral Chihuahua, one word, and then you can listen ad-free and be helping out. Thanks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks. <laughs>